this is sexually explicit. No, that's a lie. It's only sexually related. But still, if you're not 18, um, move along now. And could you also talk about how hot the host is? And the host, uh, sitting across from me, I'm looking right at him. I can I can tell you about the, the chisel of his jaw and <laughs> his five o'clock shadow <laughs> and the wire room glasses. It's, uh, it's really remarkable. I haven't been able to take my eyes off of it this entire See, now, now this time. has gone from being an honest podcast to complete <laughs> son of mine. Ah, you're full of shit. Hi, and thanks for downloading yet another episode. Uh, this has been a really weird week. Uh, weird good. Uh, earlier in the week, I had mentioned that a number of people had donated to the podcast this week. And that's very rare that multiple people you know, the, you know, donate in, in one week. And so I'd mentioned that on Twitter. And so someone else said, hey, I'll donate too. Set a record. So someone else did. And they did. And then another person did. And then another. And another. And like five or six people have donated to the podcast this week. It's really, it was really nice. It's really great. In fact, using that money, I was able to uh, prepay for a bunch of things. So I'm not, you know, constantly watching Oh, remembering, oh, I've got to prepay this. So I prepaid a few months in advance on a bunch of stuff. And so it was really, really helpful. So, um, yeah, if you're if you're listening to this and you were kind enough to donate, thanks. You, you helped set a record this week. Also, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you've been keeping up on your porn news in the UK. Um, someone emailed me on FetLife. I had, I had heard about this as well, but someone else had also uh, emailed me about it. Uh, Hey, actually, you may have heard about the law that just passed in the UK this week, which bans a list of sex acts from being shown in UK-produced porn. This was actually sent to me last week, nine days ago, as of this recording. Uh, there's a lot of info in this link. They sent me a link. Laws are introduced with no debate in Parliament. What this person and a bunch of other people would like is to get 100,000 signatures in an e-petition Parliament will be forced to debate it and hopefully will repeal the the law. If nothing else, just to hear someone say fisting in Parliament, I think would be good. So, um, Anyway, I'm including the link that this person sent on the website, massacast.com, and you'll be able to see it there. Yeah, and also I hope to have someone on the podcast later on to talk about this. Um, also in the coming weeks, we've got a lot of really great interviews, not because of me, but because of the person being interviewed. Uh, Midori is coming back on the show. Uh, I've got uh, a great, uh, guy who I talked to who, speaking of the UK, lives in the UK and has a really great story to tell about he and his partner. Um, right now is when I'm doing a big push. This is when I want to do as many interviews as possible right now, because, uh, that way I can get them under my belt. I can edit them and take my time editing and get in. I'm not going to be under a rush. So if you know someone who would be a great guest, or if you'd like to be on, believe it or not, you would probably be a really good guest. Just, uh, you can connect with me on Massacast.com. You can go to FetLife and connect with me there. Username is Massacast. Uh, and yeah, we can talk via Skype or if you're in New York, we can talk locally. Uh, yeah. Always interested in talking to multiple types of people. doesn't matter if you're straight, gay, or bi, or switchy, or whatever. Always interested in talking to new people. Uh, this episode, it's someone who's been on the show a couple times in the past, and is always really, really good. 
Lee Harrington, who, uh, man, so many of my friends are moving to Alaska. Lee, Lee moved to Alaska since the last time we spoke to Lee. And so we talk about the Alaska scene. We talk about Lee's new book. We talk about uh, the complexities of being in a conservative area, all that and more. Here's Lee Harrington. So this is going to be interesting. This will be our first uh, long-distance conversation, I believe. And the, the and we're both ill in different ways. Uh, I'm recovering from uh, spine surgery. You're recovering from a cold or flu or something of, of, of the like. Yeah, the the Alaska dry air thing that happens for me this time of year, and it doesn't help that I went and visited family uh, out in Hawaii couple weeks ago and so I was surrounded by the beautiful humidity and and as an asthmatic just taking that in and feeling so much better and then came home to fall slash early winter right. in Alaska which is so profoundly dry <laughs> well let's talk about it you uh actually you're the you're the second person I uh, who's a friend of mine who's moved to Alaska uh, my other friend who's also in the scene who moved up there about, she's been up there about four years now or something crazy like that. And, uh, she loves it. What was the reason for you? What was, you know, what brought you to, to Alaska? Love. It, well, that's the best, that's the best reason, I suppose. Yeah. It's, uh, stuff that I was, uh, having in my life in New York wrapped up and, uh, moved into a different point and I uh, was trying to figure out where I was going to move to next and I'd been seeing someone up here in Alaska for about a year and she and I made a decision to do an experiment for six weeks which had actually been a proposal by another partner of mine oh as a joke oh go spend six weeks with her and we went let's try it let's see what happens and at the end of six weeks I did the math of how much a storage unit that I had all my stuff in in New York cost right Right. (laughs) as a New Yorker, you could appreciate. And I, I looked at the shipping costs for moving everything up here, and we moved all of my worldly goods. And I came up here, and we did a six-month experiment with the deal between two adults being, well, if we love each other, and I like Alaska, but we don't live well together, I'll go get an apartment. Right. Right? Right. Because still compared to New York, prices are still decent up here. It's more expensive than some parts than leave, living in Phoenix, Arizona, which I used to used to do. Right. But uh, uh, so I was like, well, look, do that. Well, what if we both adore living with each other, but Alaska is not a good fit for either of us right now? Uh, well, then let's look at moving. Right. And so at the end of six months, I finished breaking down the last of the storage boxes and painted the front porch and planted, you know, yellow raspberries and uh, and a little herb garden and officially moved in. And uh, how, how long ago was that? That was six months ago. Well, then- I've now been here for uh, a full year. I, uh, according to the state of Alaska, I moved here on November first. The <laughs> according to the state of Alaska, because oh, because you actually have to. You there's paperwork that's involved with moving to Alaska that's not involved with any other state, right? Well, yeah, because once you get your state ID, um, which mine is November first, you're allowed to be registered for the uh, for be- becoming part of uh, the investiture of the oil revenues. Right. 
Because you that happens. as an Alaskan, people people don't realize this, especially <laughs> especially when they can they think how, the Republican hotbed that is Alaska, but then and at the same time, the government doles out tons of cash to the to the citizenry every single year, um, and it's money that's that's owned by the Alaskans themselves from the oil yeah. revenues, and it's like a couple grand or something like that. Or something. Uh, only on the biggest years. Right, right. Uh, they, they range from anywhere from about 600 bucks to, I believe, the biggest one that's ever been was about 2200 Right. So uh, uh, every yeah. year the Alaskans are like, come on, oil prices. Come on, you know. Uh, well, and it's actually not the oil prices oh, that does it, interestingly enough. No, the money from... A couple of years ago, tax prices ah. gets invested like the percentage of what was charged not by retail, but by the wholesale right. and by how those funds worked even in, in selling the crude. Sure. Uh, because processing doesn't happen up here. Right, right. Which is hilarious that tax prices in Alaska are actually – gas prices, I should say, are actually comparatively high because we have to send all of our crude that's here – down to the lower 48 to get processed right. and then has to get shipped back up here for use, which is ridiculous. No, right, right. Which actually, it, it's probably cheaper. Uh, it's probably cheaper if they were to get it processed in Canada than, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, but yeah, so so what happens is it gets invested in the stock market. Right. And uh, then the dividends from that money, and the, the reason for it is that even if oil stops being harvested here in Alaska and harvested being a, a, tech, a touchy term, shall we mm. say, um, for those of us who have an environmentalist. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it's not fracking, <laughs> right. but uh, but it still does what it does to the environment. Uh, so the uh, those funds get invested. And even if we stop harvesting, we have those dividends invested which means those checks will keep coming in based on the stock market fluctuation right. to Alaskans for the rest of the time the stock market exists. Right. And so and that's the the, the thing is that you only get that if you're an uh, an Alaska citizen. And yeah. it's right. So um but yeah, that, that's really interesting. Cuz there are other things too that become with uh, that come with being an Alaskan. Um but uh, one thing I'm curious about, because I've got a friend who – now, what part of Alaska do you live or do you not want to say? Or Oh, no. I live in Anchorage. Okay. And the joke about Anchorage is that you can see Alaska from here. <laughs> yeah. Because Alaska has a half million people for the entire state. Yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. So people in big cities think about that. Like, yeah. you know, like that's just – it's mind-boggling right. in some ways. I, I think if they they did the, somebody told me the math recently that if Manhattan had the same population density as Alaska does, if each Alaskan actually had the land divided up evenly, which mm -hmm. doesn't happen, okay. there's whole parts of Alaska that have never been touched or mapped. Yeah. It's massive. It's over twice the size of Texas. Of course, yeah. That if, if if Manhattan had the same population density as Alaska, it would have six people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Now that's the. Um, uh, I'm from a big, you know, a, a huge state of a few people as well. So you know, I've the. It's really interesting uh, when when I hear from my friends who spent a lot of time in New York, who go to those big areas to see what their their you know what their their vibe is like to them. Now you had gone there. I'm, I'm just I'm just guessing that uh, on one of your many trips to. 
to some kink events in Alaska. That's where you met your significant other? Yeah. Uh, we went, I went up and uh, was brought up by Sarah, who was the, who is now the former International Ms. Leather. This is before she got the title. Right. And she brought me up to do a three-day intensive on power exchange relationships which was a great adventure, a really passionate group of, I think, about 15 folks that gathered together in one home and had this conversation, basically, and went with me through a whole bunch of different lectures and exercises and sub-breakdown groups and all this kind of stuff. And I love doing my uh, power exchange intensive. And I've done it a number of places now. And it was really interesting that she was one of the people in attendance, but she was just some person, right? It's not like I went out and chicken hawked or anything (laughs) like that, because I've had people be like, oh, you you know, you go out and do all stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Every once in a while when I'm at an event, I find a peer who happens to be in attendance and we end up playing or somebody who has been around the scene for the same length of time or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I'm traveling, and it's fun to have the occasional pickup play. But this is someone that we didn't even play over the course of the weekend. We ended up, uh, the the next day after the conference, uh, Sarah was actually pretty busy, and uh, and my sweetie, Butterfly, ended up saying, hey, uh, can, uh, it, you know, have you seen Alaska? I'm happy to, I don't have work on, on Monday. Do you want me to take you down to the animal uh to Animal Conservatory uh, Conservation Space. Do you want to go down and see a frozen waterfall? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And so we just went on this adventure, and over the course of it, we went, oh, we actually have, yeah, both of us have this kink stuff in common, but we actually have more things in common. And for me, uh, kinky relationships are great, but having someone who has other things in common, somebody who does travel, who is a foodie, who can, who does watch the news and understands world events, mm-hmm. who enjoys board games and is a total nerd in, in different ways. Having things in common beyond one point of, one, one axis point, I think is really important in any relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was what kind of uh, triggered for you and, and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, it was a crazy evolution with twists and turns and continues to be. Well, that's, that's because that's kind. any relationship. Right. Yeah. So um, you've been in the scene in Alaska for uh, a, a year straight now. What has, yeah. has have you decreased your travel uh, a bit uh, since you've been moved since you've moved up there, or has it still been pretty hectic? Because I know before you almost. I mean, you you probably were on the on the verge of you know evolving, having wings or something. It was really, <laughs> really, really hectic for you. Well, it's not what it was. In two thousand and six, I was literally, I literally was on the road. Period. I had no home. I had put everything in a storage yeah. you know, for two years uh, between I think it was two thousand five and two thousand six, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. What's happened up here when I was in New York, I'd say I was on the road, like I flew at least once a month, yeah. uh, sometimes twice. Right now, what I tend to do is every two months or so, I maybe every three months, somewhere in that window, uh, I hop on a plane and head somewhere to the lower 48, usually, um, 
but this tri- last trip was over to Hawaii. I'm going to be doing uh, classes over in London. I'm doing a three-day intensive in London, England, the weekend of February 21st on exploring sacred kink and altered states of consciousness with our sexuality. That's all going to be hands-on, brains-on, and hearts-on. And so going over to London, what we're going to do is do a tour. And that's what I did my last trip down to the south when I went to you know, Mobile, Alabama, and Little Rock, Arkansas, and Biloxi, Mississippi, and over to Memphis, Tennessee, and Slidell, uh, Louisiana, right? Like, I did this little tour. Right. And that's what I'm going to do on the way to London, is I'm going to stop at Dark Odyssey Winter Fire in D.C. on the way there, and uh, Robex uh, rope conference that's being put together right now in New York on the way back. Oh, Nice. Yeah, so You're just I'll, not it'll be messing my first around. Time. Yeah, so and that's it allows me if I'm gonna take the time to leave the state because it's three hours to fly to Seattle. Yeah, a little yeah. less than three hours. Right. Uh, so if I'm gonna do it, make it worthwhile. The trip to New, the trip to uh, the South, I was only gone one week total. Mm-hmm. I traveled all those states from when I actually left New Orleans and went on the actual tour because I did a day and a half in New Orleans first to just be right. Uh, that when I actually did the tour, I did five states in four days. Yeah. This trip is going to be more leisurely because I'm going to do five days in D.C., a week in New Orleans, and five days in – I'm sorry, a week in London, and then a five days in New York before heading home. It's going to be a, a lot more casual pace. Yeah. Well, good for you. That's great. Glad glad you're able to, to enjoy it. it. I'd like to know sort of the – your findings of the Alaskan kink scene. Yeah. Uh, like, what is that like compared to uh, New York? Or uh, obviously, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's quite a bit of difference, but what is the, you know, what's the vibe? Is the vibe different in some way? Or um, uh, what's that like? Well, it's fascinating. I would say that there is uh, three distinct kink populations up here. One is uh, the men's club, uh, which is the Frontier Men's Club, which is a gay men's leather club that is a backpatch organization that has traditional color guard systems and runs the Alaska Mr. Leather competition, who are an excellent group that are very much in the traditional leather men's club perspective, right? Sure. The second group is... uh, is actually going to be launching soon the Alaska Center Center for Alternative Lifestyles. There's going to be its own space. Like they've actually rented a space. It's being renovated. There's going to be a library, occasional play parties, classes, rentable opportunities there for people to do their thing, right? Mm -hmm. But they run... uh, they run play parties. They do uh, three-day intensives. They're the folks that brought me up uh, and tend to do a lot of, you know, small special events. And I'd say their population is a little more of an experienced player organization, a little bit more education and uh, uh, on a uh, more like a more three-day intensive kind of level experience, mm-hmm. and they run a munch every Wednesday. And then there's a third group, which is tied up north, that has a big, playful play party every two months. 
and their munches are at Barnes & Noble. The first one is a, a smaller munch, right? It happens at a small coffee shop off the beaten path that has amazing chocolate. Oh my God, this venue has, like does all homemade chocolates. Mm-hmm. And the second one has their munch at Barnes & Noble. So you can get the idea of one that's a little more private and a little more intimate. The other one clearly is happening at Barnes & Noble. It has a younger population to it for the most part, uh, a little more upbeat, a little bit more playful, uh, In uh, but at the same time has a more exposed approach to it. And they do every month uh, a rope social where people get together and play with rope and it's so you've got three very different vibes. There are people who walk between all three. There are some pe- who, people who find a really comfortable home in one of those populations. Mm-hmm. And there are people who I know in the scene who uh, only show up to uh, the kinky uh, book club that happens here that's not run by any of those. It's run by uh, a couple that moved up from Florida and they used to have a kinky once a month book club there, loved it. And so they moved it up here to be able to literally have people choose a book right, and then discuss it. And the books have been everything from, uh, they had, uh, they did the first book of the marketplace series Oh wow! and we're able to get Laura Antoniou to stay up because we're four hours behind New York. Sure. And she stayed up until 1 a.m. her time to do a streaming, you know, live Skype session uh-huh. Laura's with awesome. us as we discussed it. Yeah, That's it was great. totally fantastic. That's great. Um, yeah, so you've got this diversity. The challenge being that Alaska is a red state. Alaska is a conservative state. And so there was a venue that was being used by ACAL, the Alaska Center for Alternative Lifestyles, that they were first exploring that they were upfront with their landlord about who they were and what they do. They'd been renting from the venue for a long time for for play parties, uh, and they the cops. It's it's not illegal here, right? Right. There is nothing illegal in the state of Alaska about exploring various alter, um, alternative lifestyle and and kink play. Nothing, and so you know the producer was upfront with the cops. Everybody was on board uh, until someone decided in who had a you know a different take on what was appropriate mm. decided to report the behavior to the local uh to one of the local really strong you know born again born again churches who then decided to protest who then got the venue shut down uh, that's weird uh you know the thing is is that it, uh it's the one thing that always surprises me about about red states is that uh they're very they're oh there's always this conflict of uh personal freedom uh except Jesus right it is always it's this constant and I don't know it's just really it's just so bizarre to me about but the, the, Jesus almost always wins over the personal freedom thing it seems to be well, unless there's money involved. And there's a fascinating piece to me about how people approach their passion and connection with Christ. Yeah. Because on that tour down to the South, I got to meet a handful of kinksters who were really passionate Christians. And they were sad about, like, they were like, we go to church every Sunday. We are good Christians, and there's nothing in the Bible 
that says not to love who you love and not to enjoy the people that you love in the ways that you authentically enjoy being with them sexually and emotionally. There's nothing in there about kinky sex. And so they were really sad about practicing Christians being mad at people who are kinky and trying to shut down what they do. And then they were also sorrowful about kinksters saying, oh, those Christians this, oh, those Christians that, because they're like, we're good Christians. Why are you hating us too? And so in the case of Alaska, what ended up happening was that they ended up shutting down the venue. Uh, They ended up, the, the people who were the renters caved into that pressure, even though it is legal. Right. Is that did they find a, another location or they have? Okay. Well, that's they good. have found another location um, that is not as concerned about those kinds of, of of pressures, and so it'll be. It hasn't happened. It hasn't fully opened yet. So there is still a fear in me, and I try not to live in fear. I really don't. But maybe it's a, more of a concern, not a fear. Yeah. That um, and I think a founded one, that uh, that it could happen again. And that would be really unfortunate. Luckily, before, I mean, they hadn't done huge renovations, right? They'd done painting on this other place. If thousands of dollars have been invested in the new venue, wow, that's that's gonna suck. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it would be. This is on on my list of things. um, On the list of things I would do if I won the lottery, one of them would be to start uh, an organization that um, that makes that you know makes a safe space in every town mm-hmm. so like instead of every town having just an armory they'd also have you know a kink zone or something like that there'll be no windows you know <laughs> and or or something be a safe place so that anyone could have their their thing you know and uh you know they could have their munch or they could have their play party or whatever that would be that would be the goal for me it's sort of like uh like you know we've got we get really spoiled in New York, at least. Or I think we get spoiled in in in, in bigger towns, in general, uh, of being able to have you know public places to do this type of stuff. And, oh, absolutely! You know, like uh, but when I did my power, I did a, a DS class. I did a class on uh, protocols and power exchange relationships and uh, power exchange scenes. When I was down in uh, well, technically it was Gulfport. Uh, it was by a group from Biloxi, did a class in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi. And it was, there, there were people who had driven three hours, four hours for a chance to be able to come to a class like this because that just doesn't happen. Right, right. There was one woman from really rural uh, Mississippi who uh, had driven a long distance and uh, with somebody who drove, who was, you know, not as passionate as she was, but still fascinated by the topics. And she said, you know, I live in a really small area. There's nothing there. There's like five kinksters in the entire area, and we get together and play. You know, five to ten, right? Yeah, right. And that's lucky if they could bring in everybody from the whole county she's in. Well, and it's they great if, if they all if they all are into the exact same things and no one you know. But, but they're I not. guarantee that's not the case, right? But they're not, and uh, and so she's like, nobody is going to want a play partner like me, 
And I looked at her and we, she ended up being one of my demo bottoms for my uh, hands-on rope bondage class in Alabama. And we got her at the front of the room and I was like, isn't she fabulous and hot? And everybody was like, yeah. And she was just astounded that people would be into a rope switch. She's like, that's, that's just not you. where I am. You've got to be a submissive, especially yeah. if you're female. Like that's the only choice. You know, and if you're going to be a dominant female, this is the type you have to be. And both of those things as a black woman, oof, like that's double tough. Right. And it was really hearing her stories about being in those isolated areas that happens. Uh, you know, there's uh, when Northern Exposure happens here in Alaska, which is run by the folks who are doing uh, ACAL, they, uh, there are people who come from all over Alaska that are in small areas. There's a couple that I know who moved from Seattle up into a very small area in Alaska, you know, the kind of town that has a tourist business as their entire revenue. And they've got maybe a thousand people when mm-hmm. it's not tourist season. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Everybody knows their names. Right. Everybody knows their nicknames. And they've only been up there a couple of years. Like, everybody knows who everybody is and knows everybody's business. Chris, yeah. It's even in, in Anchorage, it's very much a small town feel. And mm-hmm. if you get known for this one thing, it's what you're going to be known as. And it's why, even though I do kink lectures up here, it's smaller advertising. It's advertised on my Facebook page and FetLife and things like that, but I don't stretch stretch out my hand to uh, the mainstream media, even if I think I could probably get folks. But that just doesn't happen yeah. because I don't want to get known as being the kinky guy yeah. who does kinky lectures. And I'm really debating about that because I have a, a pair of new books coming out on hands-on rope bondage, and I'm wanting to do a book signing here in Alaska and I'm really torn. Do I do something at like Castle Megastore, which there is one of, because there's mm. a Castle Megastore everywhere on the West Coast. Right. Like, and it's it's it, it's better than some options available in town because there's one sex shop where I'm like, ooh, there's a layer of dust on top of your poppers. <laughs> and there's this wither in the back of their space, there's a there are sticky floored video booths that you can tell are just sad and there's a withered sign on the wall that ta- that has out of date contact information for syphilis testing. Yeah. Yeah, where it's just, it's one of those, and I talked to the guy behind the counter, and he's like, yeah, my my friend just got busted for meth again. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, oh, I have a friend honey. who lives in, like I said, she's been living in Alaska now for a couple of years. She's been on the podcast several times talking about her experience there, and one thing she's talked about is how uh, STDs are crazy there, that yeah. there's like a, its own, there's an, like, there's a, it's, special alaska strain of syphilis or something crazy like that uh because it's just not you know and this might be a difference between the uh you know the kink scene and just your average joe and jane you know not using condoms because why uh uh, i have no idea if that's what you know which which one is the case there but um i know that like she was on a date with a guy and the guy said 
with like condoms. You're actually going to make me wear condoms? You know, this was the <laughs> this was early on in their conversation uh, or in their dating, and I think it was very and close to the end of their dating as well. But have you found it to be true as well uh, that uh, or or is it sort of uh, that's outside of the kink scene that that's true? So there is a, a place up here called Chilkoot Charlie's, which is a weird dance club that like received some rave review back in the 80s and still you know goes <laughs> off of it and it's this big mega complex that has six or seven different dance clubs inside it and so mm-hmm. you can get one entry pass and go from a really funky techno kind of space with black lights all the way up to you know go to a different country room go to the r&b you know right. uh, r&b and hip-hop kind of room go to a live indie band that's playing in another space and you can wander around to the, all these different rooms and i i've joked about it but i think if gonorrhea were airborne it would start there right <laughs> right, right, right like right. it's just uh like it's the meat market yeah. in town and uh for heterosexual populations and probably some other random cruising and hookup too and it's just it's it is a it's a problem yeah and it's really fascinating to me the the lack of awareness around a lot of different stuff. I actually went last night to the Transgender Day of Remembrance which, uh, evening that happened here. It was their third one here in Alaska, mm-hmm. put on by the folks at uh, UAA, the University of Alaska in Anchorage. The There was somebody who came up and spoke who was a graduate student. And he said, you know what, I came up to Alaska because it was really hard to find uh, uh, an anthropology professor who would be game to team up with me on uh, and support me actively on doing research on the anthropology of gender burial and within burial sites and looking at bone history as compared to the wardrobe found and all that kind of stuff. Right. Which I think is a fascinating project. And the gentleman said that it was really challenging as a trans guy, as a trans man, to have moved up here because when he brought up words like genderqueer or even trans man, no one knew what he was talking about. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Even in a university setting, like it's been a slow transition to awareness around gender. So, and, yeah, it's it is an interesting population up here. I I tend to think of Alaska as being pretty much in the 80s well the thing is is that it the it is extremely difficult to educate people who are not going to go out of their way to find it right mm-hmm. I, I usually try to think of people like who are like my 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 cousin is a prime example my cousin still lives in uh in the same area where i was born and raised and nothing wrong with that at all but my cousin will never Google, you know what, I'm curious about, you know, just uh, I, even though I have no interest in trans people myself uh, as, as being, a, I'm not a trans person, I, I think I should Google this to friend, find out more so that in the event someone cross like that crosses my path that I can make sure that I relate to them on a way that's respectful. You know, they would never do that, right? Um, uh, so the only way people will get 
you know, will ever get educated about this stuff is you think about like, what was the early, uh, probably the earliest exposure to, uh, at least to their knowledge, my cousins and my relatives, what was their earliest exposure to say someone, uh, of, of, of someone who with an alternate, uh, sexual preference that was not that that painted them as a human being right mm-hmm. well that probably was something like will and grace right or something yeah. like that because every other portrayal was like as a joke oh it's jack on three's company has to act gay so you know uh but even will and grace wasn't like you know i would say that's a, a fairly that's a big stretch to say that that was some you know but it was a, a fairly groundbreaking thing for those people right oh for, for, absolutely right and absolutely. so we're never get. We're not going to get, and I don't. We, you know, it, it's going to take something like that to happen. And we're we we are seeing it like on uh, Orange Is the New Black, right? That's maybe the closest, but we don't see any any real discussion about it. On you know, uh, and it's going to take something like that to happen, which is probably decades away before someone in Alaska or someone, you know, where I was, you know, in the Great Plains. Uh, for someone who, like that who's just going to find out about it on the periphery. That's, otherwise, I have no idea how it's going to happen. I think those things are starting to happen because Chaz Bono was on Dancing with the Stars. Okay, sure, sure. Right? It's a more liberal show in many ways, like the likelihood of somebody really investing in that who, you know, is a big, tough lumberjack living out in the middle of, uh, living out in the middle of the bush, right? And this is something to consider as well. When I say the bush, I mean that it is people are still like it's you know ten days after the election, the votes are still moving in, yeah, in Alaska, yeah, that four years ago that the when the last round of you know midterm elections happened. There were there was a, a there was a Senate seat that was called as being given to the Republicans, yeah, and I they cheered this, yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, and two weeks later they found out our bad. Yeah. It's actually three thousand votes in the other direction. Yeah, yeah I remember With this. Only yeah. a half million people in a state, three thousand votes can win an mm-hmm. office. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Yeah. It's amazing that more people here don't vote because it can be disheartening in states that have 30 million people, right? Yeah. yeah. To have that happen and have 30, whatever numbers states have, like, no, anyway. Right, right, right. No, but you're right. You're right. When you have such a huge, uh, a, a drastic change in voter turnout, uh, so you have a low population and low voter turnout, that means one person could be half the electorate. <laughs> you well, know. that's literally, right. and right. it was really interesting. And we still get two senators. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> it, I mean, uh, my state senator, Baggage, before, well, he was my state senator, and instead it's been replaced by Dan Sullivan, who is going to be a problem. <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, for my political standings and perspectives for, say, sexual mm-hmm. freedom, uh but uh, he, uh, Baggage randomly showed up at the Greek festival I was at while I was eating a, you know, gyro and, you know, kebab and whatever. Like, here he is hanging out and shaking people's hands and not just kissing babies, but actually stopping and talking to people randomly. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that doesn't happen other places. And this wasn't some big thing. It was the little Greek festival that happens over on the side that had maybe... 75 people on it. Right, right. Well, 
Uh, out of curiosity, is because uh, uh, I, I definitely want to talk about your books coming out, but is there uh, uh, the passage of uh, legalization? Was it legalization or is it decriminalization of marijuana? Uh, legalization. It was okay. already uh, so here in Alaska. The law previously was that it was legal to grow, I believe, up to eight plants in mm-hmm. your home for personal use. Right. As long as it wasn't used publicly, sold, or actively disseminated. Oh, okay. Or used by children. Right. And so it, it's one of those like you grew st- stuff, you gave it to friends. It wasn't yeah. that big of a deal. As long as you're responsible and it's not interfering with your work, nobody really cared. Yeah. Uh, and there. Uh, yeah, there were pot distributors and pots, you know, and that business has been thriving up here because it's a pretty pothead state in many ways. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this shifts the culture of that kind of, of you know, that vein of uh, chemical use up well, here. Is- yeah. This is how you get. Uh, it's in many ways. This is how you get a larger. Uh, you have other changes that happen, you know, politically uh, in a state. So the perception of it going, oh look, hey, you can go there and do whatever you want with pot. So you're gonna, you all of a sudden get these this big influx of people from uh, other from other states who are maybe left-leaning themselves or, you know, or for whatever reason, they're going to go grow their stuff or they're going to do something and they're going to move to Alaska. And it sort of has this, this uh, you know, this, this, this is the political trickle-down effect of it eventually making, you know, make, making a change uh, politically because all of a sudden you get these people from other states coming in and they have kids who are left-leaning as well and that just kind of, you know, keeps going from there but um yeah I'll, I'll be very interested to see what what happens there because again like my friend who's uh moved from new york she's you know she's very very liberal and she's seeing more and more people from other states been moving to alaska in the past few years mm-hmm. and uh and they're all liberal too so she's like i have no idea where, where everyone i know and everyone i hang out with is liberal i have no idea how they're getting this you know where this is coming from but uh but yeah yeah it's uh, like you said, it's a big state. Um, yeah. So, you, do you want to talk about the books? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I. Uh, it's sure. <laughs> Sorry, that was like oh, <laughs> shift gears. Yeah, uh, I have been working for the past two years on uh, uh, on a second edition of shibari you can use japanese rope bondage and uh erotic and uh, erotic macrame which was my very first book i ever published back in 2006 and so it's going to be a second edition and the sequel and i'm doing it because i'm having a sequel come out which is more shibari you can use passionate rope bondage and intimate connection the books were photographed in New York, uh, in Brooklyn, as well as in uh, up in North Andover, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, by Rigger J., uh, who's a fantastic photographer who's, who's taught uh, all over the place. He's originally, I mean, he's Canadian, but uh, has traveled all over the globe teaching, uh, well, not, anyway, he's taught a lot of places at this yeah, point, yeah. which makes me really proud because... Uh, he, when he was starting out with rope bondage, he actually hired me to come in and do a private 
you know, session with him as a, as a rope instructor, which I love doing one-on-one hands-on work with a person or a couple or whatever it might be to really help them find their path, whether it's in, you know, hands-on skill sets or individual discussion or whatever it might be. And so to see him now as an erotic photographer and traveling all over the place, and it just, uh, you know, like there's that moment of pride right right uh it it, it makes me it, it delights me That's and great. he's gone his own completely different direction with some of it and it's a, it's a delightful thing well the photos but, in the book are i mean i i, I oh. got the to see the you know the, the preview um the photos are really really great um thank you i think that's one of the problems with it a lot of people who um because when you're learning something like Shabari, it's extremely complex. And so the photos are crucial. Not only just the, the photos that, you know, look good, you know, uh, visually appealing, but also from a learning point of view, you really have to be able to, to see where is that line of rope going, you know? Yeah. Um, otherwise, it doesn't work. So um, it's really, really helpful that way. And also, uh, I love the fact that you have different people with different uh, body types in here as well. Um, that's another problem that I've had or heard other friends um, who are trying to learn is that, well, the person who I'm, uh, I'm rigging on, the person who I'm putting rope on has a completely different body type than the person in the book. And there's a lot that can change with just, uh, you know, maybe the person has really thin arms or, or whatever. Um, and so you have a lot of different body types, which is really great, too. Yeah, that was really important to me. When I did first edition, uh, I shot it with uh, Circle 23, who's another fantastic artist in Portland, Oregon. And what was important to him and I as we photographed people in general, because we did a lot of collaborative work uh, over the years that I was there, is that I wanted to shoot, you know, I wanted to shoot bears. I wanted photos of, uh, you know, not just skinny, you know, skinny Asian and white chicks, but I also wanted to shoot you know, curvy girls. And, you know, that diversity was really important to me to have in my rope book, men and women, because so many of the bondage manuals out there are, uh, are all tiny girls. Mm -hmm. And I remember when, uh, I was asked to preview and, and, and look at ahead of time and give feedback on one bondage book that was going to be coming out. And one of the points I wrote him on, it was, uh, that, Hey, you know, the you don't express anything in here on how to modify it for people who are, you know, even smaller like who don't even have an A cup. Mm-hmm. You don't have anything in here for people with different structures in yeah. general uh or even people who don't have this level of flexibility. What, you know, are you going to be adding additional information at the front? And he's like, and his response was, I have a sentence at the very beginning. That's plenty. And I went, what? <laughs> I think he expanded it to two sentences. Whoa, one that well, said, hey, that's double If you're a the... guy, and then the other sentence was, if you're not this flexible. And I'm right. like, thanks. Nothing oh, about that... modification, just if you are these two things, um, you will. You might have to change these something. Well, there's a lot of people who, when they when they put the books out, uh, I've heard some describe some uh, rope and bondage books that they're not even intended as educational books. You know, they're just intended for you to look at the pictures and that's it. Uh, and if you happen to someday, 
you know, accidentally use it as an educational book and you accidentally learn something from it, then that's all an accident too, you know. Um, but this is, I mean, looking at them, is, it's, it's very clear. You've put so much time and effort into the instruction and here's how the, the rope should look on the floor, you know, and, you know, or this is what the loop looks like. It's really, really in depth. You put a lot of time and effort into it. Yeah, we really did. And uh, I also tried to add a lot of humor to it. Because, for example, in, in book one, when I am teaching how to do a crotch rope, mm-hmm. right? It has step one, find a crotch. <laughs> and has somebody pointing, has me pointing at someone's crotch, pointing at my <laughs> right. model's crotch. Right. And it's humorous, but it also allows me to say things like, if someone has external genitalia, yeah. You're going to make sure that you, you know, you need to make some choices ahead of time. If someone has genital piercings, you're going to need to make some choices ahead of time. Yeah. Some people want the rope to the side. Some people want it straight through the center. This is a chance to communicate with your partner. And so to me, it's an opportunity to be humorous. Like in book two, there's a photograph that isn't in the step-by-steps that has a guy in a PVC shirt who's this just sexy creature and he's holding a pillow that he's tying a chest harness on because earlier on that page i'd said uh as part of the description i'd said if you're nervous about tying somebody up for a first time try tying on pillows or on a chair leg so that you can get the knots down before you even connect, you know, spend time wanting to connect with your partner. Yeah. And so in the subtitle under the box, it says something akin to uh, wearing fetish wear while tying up a pillow is completely optional. <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff in the photos, too. Like, you can tell just by the photos that you, uh, you really like the people you're tying up, either on a friend level or more. You can tell that you've, you've got a connection with the people you're tying up. Which was uh, hilarious because yeah. actually about a third of them I'd never met. Really? That surprised me. Uh, and and I uh, think for me that comes from the blessing I've had of having taught, you know, all over the place for the last 15 years. Right. Is that I've gotten to meet so many different people and find that almost every person I have encountered, I have, I mean, actually to some, I, no, I'd say every person I've encountered I've found some spark of beauty in. Right. Some spark of, like, even people who I profoundly disagree with on something, I still have that moment where I'm like, oh, but they're passionate about their kids. Right. Well, that's great. That's great. You, well, I think also, I would imagine that a lot of these people um, have connected with you, either whether you know it or not. They've seen you give a presentation or they've read some of your work in the past, so they already have a built-in connection with you, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, right. or or had were connections with Jay. A number of the models were friends of Jay's, and so there was a connection in some way. Yeah. What I loved, though, it was really fun that, uh, let's say I was, because I did two days in Brooklyn, uh, we rented out one of the spaces that is used by uh, Clawtex, which is a, a, a latex clothing company mm-hmm. that produces stuff in Brooklyn. And uh, with a K, claw text. And when we set up this space, I told people, okay, these are all the people we want to work with in New York. I have eight of you who are showing up each day because I want four or five people each day. I don't want all of you on one day. It just isn't going to be usable because I want each model to be in about three different concepts. Mm-hmm. 
And so we randomly arrange things. And, and sometimes in some of the, like one of the shoots in uh, up in Boston, we had a couple show up. And so we did a lot of stuff with them together, but a handful with them, you know, doing stuff alone uh, or me rigging one of them. And, but they wanted to do stuff together. And I'm like, they didn't want to be randomly paired up. And we're like, awesome. That's great. But having these people who hadn't met each other before and these moments of beauty, like uh, Scotty Thompson, who is the big guy. Like you'll see this guy who looks like he's straight out of Tom of Finland uh, in the books. And who is this really hot, yummy, furry, like slightly furry, long-haired, masculine, very masculine energy dude mm-hmm. uh, who's a sex ed- um, educator out of uh, Minnesota. He came in and actually visited me. He's my leather brother, and he came and visited me in New York and modeled with us for the weekend. And then we had Calico, who was who is this beautiful, sweet, sensual, little tiny fetish model. And then, and they'd never met before, and pairing them up to have her standing over him, grabbing onto his ropes and looking him in the eye, they had this moment where it was where I'm like, whoa, <laughs> fireworks are happening. Let's get these photos in. And afterwards, it broke. And that moment of connection was so authentic, so beautiful. And then afterwards, it didn't turn into a really, like, I didn't create any relationships, but it turned into a playful friendship after that. And they're, like, making fun of each other as they're eating burritos and all that kind of stuff. That's great. It was really lovely to to get to see how people connect. And my hope with the book in those ways is that people will see pieces of themselves. If they're an older furry guy, you've got Nayland in there, who's another sex educator out of New York, that I got to pull in somebody who is, you know, of an older body type, uh, which super sexy, amazingly hot guy, but who has a different frame than I've seen in any of the bondage books. And it also, you have to take Nalen's account. The biggest problem with tying up Nalen is I imagine the gravitational force of his brain. Uh, (laughs) He is... I've said this on the show, and I'm, I'm not going to pause because you are. You're. I'll. I'll. I'll take this to my grave that Lee, you're an amazing person, and I'll always say that. But Nalen Blake may be the greatest human that ever walked on the face of the earth. I could be. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but that's he's up there. No, uh, I. He is amazing. Like absolutely fantastic and i was blown away by the people who were game to be in this book melina williams well yeah but you and melina i mean that's again that's what i'm talking about is that there's 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 times you can tell the people are really you know in the photos are really connecting you know yeah they they really were and i i absolutely loved it just seeing how each person rose to their own energy in it and and embraced who they were. Uh, one of my models up in New York, we uh, we had her in a hair tie. We were doing a step by step technique of how to tie up someone's hair for anyone who has three inches or longer hair. And I've got some ideas in the book where it's like if you don't have three inches of hair, here's another idea. Right. Just to be a little wicked because I'm like I don't want people to be left out because they got short hair. And we've tied up her hair, and I've got the rope in my hand. And like we're, I was trying to be menacing and like, er, pull on the rope. And 
she turns towards Jay with this total Muppet look on her face and is like, ah! We ended up using the photo in the book at the very end because I, again, randomly made a comment of like, make sure that you're authentic in who you are. And if you want to be playful and have fun with this stuff and don't want to explore a deep power exchange, cool. And here she is with this playful face on, having a really good time. And when I saw what she was doing, I instead of being like, er, authentically dominant, I went super playful, like, er, like really over the top. <laughs> right. And well, it was a good time. And it was important for me to say that because in book two, I have an entire chapter that is on using rope bondage in power exchange. So I didn't want readers who weren't into that to feel like they were invalidated in some way. Right. The, the, the thing I like, uh, and this is about uh, in the Morshabari, mm-hmm. is at the very beginning you talk about communication during play, and you set the tone. Again, you have you and uh, Melina together, and the, the, the uh, facial expressions she's giving and you're giving back are very much a sort of like an old-timey, almost a silent film-style you know, vibe that I got from it. I thought I should be, I sh- it felt like I should be hearing like the piano, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, um, but that it's really, it's so detailed. Uh, the book is really, really detailed. You spent a lot of time uh, um, just going through the, Hey, here's a lot of info about stretching. Whereas again, like you said, other books feels like they would be saying, Hey, here's some info about stretching. And it's one sentence, you know, yeah. um, but yeah, it's really it's really well written. It's great. And it's definitely for you know people of just about every skill set. And what I like, you know, when I first look at because you know, one of the are the biggest things I was bummed about, not bummed I should say about well one of the biggest things I was bummed about when I got this surgery is that Sad and I aren't going to be able to do any real play for months. Right? We'll be able to do some stuff, but like any of our real play uh, uh, it's gonna. We're gonna do light, really light stuff for a while, and uh, I was flipping through this, and I thought, you know, and I saw there's quite a bit of stuff in here that um, is not is going to be pretty fun to do that does not require, you know, it's not going to break my doctor's orders, you know. Oh yeah, um, no, I can completely see the two of you. There's a hand harness. Yeah. That's in the detail ties section of book two, that you could do a web around each hand and lash them down to your genitals and force you to masturbate, just planting a seed, right? <laughs> not that she listens, but she, I mean, if she's listening. You're kidding me? She doesn't listen to this. She is not. No. But, you know, that you could lash it down and then not allow you to come. Right? right, right. And then take you again and then go back. Like, there's, there's really playful ways for people of any play level that I show some stuff in there that can become pretty intense quickly. And there's other ones where it's like, you know, wear a decorative chest harness and go out and be sexy and have fun. There's a, a bit gag that I have in there that, uh, that I use for pony play. There's a, a, a lot more uh, with facial bondage that, that I thought would be possible in here, but it's just, it, it's just covered. The whole book is just, this book is going to be pretty because I saw the PDF version. Um, this is going to be this is going to be a pretty heavy book. Yeah, it's about a pound. Um, and because uh, yeah, I'm holding it in my hand, and it's uh, it's really it makes me really happy though. 
because, this was, yeah, go ahead. No, this is one of the first times that I've seen someone successfully do a, uh, like a fundraising campaign using, a, was it Indiegogo you used? I did. Uh, okay. Because Kickstarter said that uh, it was too edgy. And right. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Right, sure. But uh, but no, this turned out to be really really good. How was the how was the fundraising? How did that work out for you? I mean, what was the process like? The process was uh, has been because it's ongoing because people haven't gotten their physical books yet, and until all of the books are out internationally and the very last funder gets their very last gift, it's not done. It's just not. And uh, so when the books come out. Uh, somewhere between the end of January and early February until the dates are announced on Amazon because Amazon has to clear once they have it in the distribution warehouse. Anyway, there's a whole process for Amazon releasing announced dates. Um, But uh, when the book comes out, I'm going to be making sure that all of my funders have gotten their books and eBooks before it goes live. Like that's really important to me, even if I have to overnight them, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's really important to me. Right. Right. But until those last things goes out, it's not done. We, we have people from all over the globe. Literally. I think I have folks from 13 different countries and you know, half the States, the United States, which is really exciting. I had a lot of people who signed up, like I've got people who signed up for just the new ebook, the the new physical book. But it was interesting because when people chose one book, I thought that the bulk of people, especially for the ebook, I'm like, oh, the bulk of people are going to be just getting the new book. About a quarter of them actually just got book one. Because they're like, I just want to explore rope bondage, or I've seen your other stuff, or I've heard good things, or I'm not really into rope. I just want to see the intro one, and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Well, don't you think too that? Uh, I mean, a lot of it's timing too, because some people are like, listen, I can't afford both right now, but give me the first one, and then uh, you know we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, I think that could be it. That can be it too. Uh, and so it's it's. Uh, so we had a number of different funding levels uh, that, and support levels, I should say. And on top of the ebooks and the print books, we did signed books. And it's been a really fun process that, uh, that since Rigor J and I live on completely different parts of the globe now, that uh, to figure out how we're doing the book signings. So... Uh, that was exciting process, and because we both wanted to actually physically sign the book, not just you know do it. Because I have a little digital signature at the back of the book for me and my acknowledgments, but we wanted physical signatures in the front of the book. And so figuring out how that process is working. And then we had people who got art prints. And so Jay got to work with each person to figure out which art print they wanted. And then he went through that entire process of, of creating these beautiful limited edition works of art that went out to folks, again, all over the globe. And we had uh, somebody who got my entire book collection, every book I've ever had come out with my name on it. And yeah, and basically building her library. And that was really exciting. We had two funders at the $1,000 level that got uh, original work of art by me. And uh, that was a blessing. 
and I've I've done one of the two because I, I got permission from the other one to wait until the book was done, done, and just focus on that. And I'm like, okay. But uh, but for the first one that I got done, I spent probably a total of 15 hours on it, maybe 20, not counting the acquiring supplies and then hanging it and the space in between planning exactly what I was going to do. But I built a three-dimensional spirit catcher, dream catcher, with uh, a spirit catcher inside, in, in two of them inside each other, uh, as a blessing towards them trying to have children. Wow, and nice. the whole thing was about this, you know, about the life that will be coming and about their life together and building a family. And all of the stones were things that orient with connection and family and love and trust and fertility and symbols from all over the globe. And uh, that, you know, one of the pieces on it was an original uh, piece of glass jewelry a glass pendant with uh, uh, gold detailing in it that has a a blossom inside of it from an artist in Hawaii who their, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, the, um, the Honu collection, H-O-N-U collection, I believe it's what it's called. Uh, but their thing is that 10% of all of their proceeds for these uh, works of art go towards protecting uh, uh, protecting the sanctuaries and uh, whatnot for where the tur- where turtles lay their eggs, and so so the children can be coming up. And so my idea was, oh, I'll put this piece of art that I, you know, this piece of jewelry that I acquired, um, uh, in with this piece, so that it's about protecting children right? Protecting the next generation. And so spending all this time and love and energy into this original work of art, because I love, uh, I love doing, uh, I love doing this kind of original artwork, but wow, it's an investment. And so doing these layers has been really cool. And then keeping everybody updated because, wow, I learned a lot in the publishing because I've done print on demand books for a long time, right? I've done print-on-demand books for a long time. And this was the first time I've worked with printing companies. This is the first time I've worked with... uh, uh, This is the first time I've worked with... uh, you know, doing separate ebook distributors. And my plan had been, oh, I'll go and do a, I'll go and do the ebooks first and have those come out. And then I'll have the print book second. And then I got the mock-up back from the print book and I went, oh my God, I've got to pull the ebook, which I've already paid for, right? I've already paid for the, the modifications to do it in three or four different digital, in four different digital formats. I've got to pull it because we're going to have to add a paragraph here and cut a sentence there to have it physically fit in the book. And then as it got laid out in the book, we went, oh, I don't want to have three pages in a row with no photographs. I want to add an extra photograph here. Let's go back through the collection and see what excellence didn't make it in the first time. Yeah, so I mean, this is something that's really fascinating because there, there are, there are, 
there's new software that's coming out all the time and uh, that to, to deal with this problem, right? Because it, it's a uh, uh, dealing in a physical world is completely different when de- dealing with something that's going to be displayed on an iPhone or an iPad, you know, all this other stuff, right? So, um, so yeah, I can see how you'd want to do like you know the digital stuff. I mean, the the physical stuff first, and then down the road, the biggest problem with with digital is that uh, because there are different standards. You can't have uh, the same thing on an iPad, or I should yeah. say, and an, you know, then it, that it displays. Well, I should say you can play just about anything on an iPad, but a Nook is something unique, and all you know, all these different it's oh. all BS. But eventually, and already we're seeing this. There's there's software you can use that will basically export to every yes. format, right? But um, um, but so yeah, it's definitely tricky. More and more often, we're seeing this now that uh, that instead of having to deal with with a a digital oh hey here's my you know ebook that is on amazon and also it's on here it's also on here that um the speculation of course nobody knows what the right answer is going to be is that instead of having like oh uh, on my amazon book you know if you want if you want the amazon version you have to go to amazon or whatever the speculation is that down the road you won't need amazon it'll just be your website and then people will just go to your website. And then if they've paid, it'll out of it. It'll be in your website, right? Well, and, and you, you can yeah. already do that to some extent. But um, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's changing so fast. And my, but I'm so glad. It, it sounds like it turned out. I mean, it oh, worked. Oh, it's eventually. turned out amazing. Yeah. Uh, but pardon me, with the eBooks, it's so important to me because I, I when I got the the eBooks back. Um, I looked at it and I went, you know what? The placement that went made sense in the book for where the photograph was mm-hmm. doesn't quite because it, it didn't quite make sense once you just randomly put it in the like in the parts that were mostly copy. It was really important to me that if it said in the copy, you know, this is the chance to use, uh, you know, a natural fiber rope. And there was an image placed to the right of it. An automatic ebook converter moves that image to directly where the next paragraph break is. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't make any sense. Or sorry, it moved to the bottom of that page. If the because for us it was copy on the left side, images on the right. Yeah. And so it shifted the image down to the bottom of that page. That's not what I wanted. I wanted the image with its subtitle next to the the paragraph that had its most relevant of course yeah yeah and so now what i'm able to do instead of doing an instant ebook conversion which a lot of a lot of uh self-publishers do it was really important for me to do that kind of work so i'm i've worked with my ebook people to be able to go through and fix all of those and have uh Instead of it say P, P, C page seventy three, seventy three, and on a you know start with step four on page seventy three. Instead of doing what a lot of ebooks do of popping up to where the top of page seventy three would have been, it pops directly to step four. Right, right. Which for me in these kinds of books is really important and and reduces the chance of frustration. Of course, yeah. And it's, you know, everything from just the, you know, person who's new to tech to someone who needs it for accessibility. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, but yeah, yeah it's really a rapidly growing thing. Are are you do you th- uh are you planning on doing, I mean, do you have any new projects uh that you're already 
uh, already planning uh, for 2015? Or is, I do. Uh, are you pushing this? So, I do. This is going to be coming out, obviously, January, February. Right. And then uh, I'm going to be... Uh, uh, I've got uh, a poetry book uh, called On Starry Thighs, uh, <laughs> Spiritual and Sensual Poetry, which uh, which I've been working on literally for 20 years. I'm finally at a place where I'm like, I'm willing to let the world see this. And it's got all original artwork by Abby Hellesdotter that's just so beautiful. Uh, and it's in, it's in the editing process right now that's going to be coming out in the fall of 2015. If these two books sell well, I'm going to start producing ne- uh, next winter, you know, so nine months after the book comes out, so I can honestly look and assess uh, sales and all of that kind of stuff. Because I, I now have to do, unlike print-on-demand, where authors just get to basically write a book and sit back, every time books run out of print, I now get to go pay for it again and start the process over again and... Uh, and make sure it keeps running and make sure that my warehouse now has things, you know, running like I'm an actual publishing company. I have a deep respect now for Greenery Press. Uh, <laughs> I really do. Uh, so I've got those pieces in the works. Uh, and basically when it looks like I've got the table of contents already written for book three of this series, uh, which will cleverly be called Even More Shibari You Can Use. And so if people want to see that book come out, uh, help us support the first two books and get the word out, because uh, I'm really excited about book three already, which is going to be a lot of stuff about decorating the body. So it's going to be like really beauty stuff and a lot of stuff about having hot sex. So I, I think these are both really important things. So so I'm going to be doing those two and uh, I'm... Uh, I've got a couple of other books that are are in the operations right now, uh, but those are still being written. And I am thinking about approaching an author or two because now that I actually own a full-blown publishing company, uh, I'm going to be approaching an author or two about possibly doing a work for me that fits within the neat genre that I want to cater to, which is... uh, so I want to be in, in a middle space between my work, if you want to look at other publishing companies, is going to be in a Venn diagram space uh, between uh, megalithic pu- um, publishing, which is a pagan publishing company, pagan and magical publishing company, Greenery Press, and Asphodel Press, which mostly does uh, power exchange and DS books. So I want to be in that space for people who are doing books about intention and connection, nonfiction work that crosses over between sexuality, spirituality, intimacy, uh, that is some that are going to be how-to, some that are going to be why-to, kind of, uh, and, and emotional reflection stuff as well. So no, bio- I don't plan to do biographies. But those spaces, uh, with my personal poetry book being a minor uh, exception, but even that has some work that crosses over between those realms. Well, I, I'm sure I speak for everyone listening that we're looking forward to seeing all of that come out. But meanwhile, they can already they can you know get their hands at least at least uh, they can depending on when they're listening to this. Do you, if you're listening to this now, you, it may already be out. Who knows? But uh, they can go to your website and we'll have a link to all that stuff everywhere. Of course, you'll be, um, uh, if you someone just Googles, you know, more Shibari, 
you can use. That's the that's the the name of the book. Get, Absolutely, get the first Shibari. One. Yep, Shibari you can use, and you'll be able to get both books because uh, they'll both pop up, or more Shibari to get that one directly. If you're interested in just staying up to date with what's going on with my publishing company, the company is Mystic Productions Press dot com. And to keep in touch with what I'm doing, including some work for other publishing companies, uh, my website is Passion and soul.com and I'm still blogging I've still got my own podcast I've still got which was great to have you on by the way uh and uh yeah it's being really exciting traveling all over the place teaching and I'm going to be taking some of this work on the road. So when I'm in London, uh, I'm going to be doing a class on altered states of consciousness, spirituality and hands-on rope work. So combining those worlds. And it's yeah, so if you want me to come on out too, drop me a note. It's always always good to hear you ah. and uh it's so great to hear your voice. It, unfortunately, I'm not be able to sit across from you while we have this conversation, but it's always great to to talk to you and uh, and thanks for sending me the early preview of, yes. of the books. I'm, I'll be buying one for myself. I should buy one for Saad. For an, for, uh, I was trying to think of what I should get her for, for Christmas right now. So this is perfect. So, um, All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it as always. And enjoy Alaska for the rest of the, uh, the, winter, winter, the, the long winter you have ahead of you. Here, so. <laughs> thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Thanks, Lee. And uh, by the way, if you're wondering, the book will be in Amazon. You can find it on Amazon by February 1st. Uh, so uh, all the info you heard, you can find on the website, massacast.com. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.